Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm here with someone that most people would know or many in the design area would know. It's um, architect Peter Madison, um, who is director of Madison Architects and also host of Grand Designs Australia. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, Stephen. Delight to be here. Peter, for people who don't know, you've got a very varied career, but you actually have a connection to RMIT. You did your degree here many Correct. years ago. In fact, I did my, I re repeated my VCE here, only a block from where this building is, uh -huh. and it was the tertiary orientation program. I failed my first HSC miserably, yeah. and uh, worked as a clerk in a real estate agency, and, and that um, made me reset my ambitions. I got in to do my VCE again here, which is a great experience. And I was more determined the second time round. Yeah. And then I went on to do my, my um, architecture degree here at RMIT. And uh, that um, was a long journey. It took me seven years. So I feel like I own a little bit of the bricks and mortar here, Stephen. Well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of architects go right through their program uh, and it, then they start with another practice and they have no practice. You got a bit sidetracked. I I remember from, uh, I recall that you actually started working in a pizza place mm -hmm. at, for a while, and I think your parents were horrified thinking, you know, what are you actually doing? But actually it was very important for your career in hospitality later on, designing a number of fine cafes, Blue Train in Melbourne, Automatic, I mean, a host of um, restaurants that people mightn't even know that you're behind. Mm. When you actually did start working in the pizza restaurant, what did you, I mean... How did you reconcile that with well, your parents? No, no, that, it's all good. I, uh, after I found my VCE, I um, uh, thought I might become a professional surfer. Um, I fancied myself a bit as a surfer, but um, the medals didn't go with the fancy. So, so I uh, lived at Phillip Island for, for a few years, um, worked down there part-time. and Well, in fact, while I was in real estate doing this clerk position, I'd, I'd go down and work on weekends for a bit of pocket money. Got to know the owners of this Italian pizzeria very well. I've done... I think four renovations to their pizza shop now. So I, I got through my architecture degree working in various hospitality venues around Melbourne and, and down at Phillip Island at this pizza place you mentioned. Um, so uh, from silver service through to sort of throwing pizzas in the air. Pizza dough, that is. Mm. Pizza dough in the air. Um, so that got me, gave me the income to be able to luxuriate in the, in the architecture degree, which took me seven years to complete. Uh, but yes, so that grounded me in, in, in the way hospitality works, I guess. And I made a few contacts and friends. Uh, and, and in fact, we've done something like 300, 300 uh, hospitality projects now. So you, you've mentioned a couple of them. Um, there was Bear Brass. Oh, Bear Brass. Uh, and, and, well, Southgate. Southgate's been very good to us. I think we've done uh, Southgate at South Bank. I think we've done um, about 10 projects there. And the most recent opened last week. It's, it's called Hop House. It's where Blue Train was. It's a big heaving uh, beer cafe yeah. in the old uh, Blue Train venue, and uh, it's a 350-seat venue, yeah. uh, and it's been fitted out um, uh, substantially um, by a very good client of mine. So, um, no, that, that, that Southgate precinct's been fantastic. Um, beer Brass we've done twice. Renovated Transport. Twice. Transport Hotel did the whole yeah. suite there, the three levels, and um, it's gone very well. It's been a, become an iconic... Uh, pub for Melbourne. Peter, what do you think, uh, working in in pizza places since you were relatively young, what do you think it did to your 
inside appreciation to, to working at these places and well, designing later. Well, you'd be interested yeah. to know that pizza's still my favourite food, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I, 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 I love the simplicity and, and uh, um, I love the honesty of pizzas and I love the idea of a cafe being more than just providing sustenance. So I had a great uh, experience working in a number of venues, uh, the pizza place Isola di Capri at Phillip Island is the one you're talking about. Mm. Um, and that uh, I think gave me an appreciation of uh, the way the business works and a certain a certain love of the energy that, that hospitality venues offer as opposed to residential work, which you know mm. very well. Um, that's uh, a more, um, I guess it's, it's, it's less public and, and mm. um, Hospitality venues are a theatre uh, uh, on a number of levels, and um, I love the energy around that. So it, it's kind of um, grounded me and make me under, make me under, made me understand how the businesses work. That is, ergonomically, uh, atmospherically, practically. I mean, how to, 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 down to the details of you know how a a, um, a pasta boiler works. So it's the machinery behind it, the science, the the services, but also the. Uh, the uh, great theatre that, that we enjoy in those venues that I love. I still remember interviewing you many years ago. I can't remember what story it was for, but I still remember, I think you were one of the early, in the early group, who actually made the kitchen very visible, and that was part of the theatre, that you really did engage the whole kitchen as part of the cafe restaurant. Well, Blue Train did that. Uh, we did that 20 years ago. Now, that was a huge business. Um, we went on to do a number of venues for, mm. for that uh, owner, Paul Mathis, who who's, was a great supporter. But, um, oh, look, I think it wasn't just not just us. I mean, I, I, I was fortunate enough, Stephen, to start hospitality when the liquor licensing in the city changed, and um, John Neuenhausen was appointed uh, by John Kane in the late 60s, early 70s, to reassess the way liquor licensing worked in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, it turned cafes into de facto bars and, and wine bars. And uh, so uh, it loosened up the way alcohol was served. And so, therefore, um, it became a more vivacious offer. And as people were realising that it was more affordable to start eating yeah. pizzas and pizzas became more sophisticated. More fashionable too. More fashionable to eat yeah. in a little cafe than go to a pub and sit in mm. segregated lounges, male and female lounges. And also fine dining has kind of really slipped yes, very yes, quickly. Yes. And it, uh, correct. And on the back of the, the late hip 60s and early 70s, which we know that era quite yeah. well, uh, people were liberated and they want more, more fun. They wanted to be yeah. able to cut loose. And so the, the, the hospitality venues uh, sort of were... were providing that yeah. the cafes provided that outlet so um uh and that kit, open kitchen you mentioned is part of that yeah. loosening up of what was a locked away activity yeah. and it became part of the show it's part of the energy but as you said you, you're doing a lot of projects these days you're doing i mean you've just done uh the cloud canopy in federation square that was an interesting project the, yep you um, just finished that one Fair and time. also a really interesting house down the coast yes that i thought was fabulous it was entered into this year we didn't get a bloody award Stephen. Well, what's get, going on did you get a commendation we got a comment no no only for the cloud canopy not oh, right. not for the house well um, that was pretty exceptional and when well, i was sitting well, we there being it was okay uh, well i thought it was more than okay peter and um uh, i was sitting with a group of architects who um were looking at the um, at the presentation with me, and they thought it was fabulous. Yeah, this um, is when we presented the juries. Do you think the problem was it was one of those projects that it was too large to be alterations and additions? Uh, it was 120 square metres. Oh, so, I wouldn't call that large. Yeah. It's tiny. 
That's that's ten meters. Yeah, but it was quite an interesting project. It was a nineteen sixties beach house. It was a little uh, timber ca- log cabin. Very and we, simple. And we clipped a, um, a a new structure onto the back of it and connected it via sort of a link, and um, it's kind of built in amongst these beautiful moon trees. And and uh, so it was, that the addition was all about acknowledging the trees and making it fit into the landscape. So it very the sort of roof folds down and engages with, with a particular contour line. So the house responds to the trees and the landscape heavily, and that was the generating idea behind it. So the roof just looks like black earth. It's it's, it's clad in in uh, uh, like bituminous tar. I mean, the only thing that's really visible from the street is this red door. Yes, it's like and, like the uh, budgerigar and the trees. You know, um, we kind of like that analogy. It's um, almost invisible, and you get this little flash of red colour as you drive past and look in, through the moon trees, and you do a double take, and you wonder if it's a little native animal in there, yeah. but it's a, a little building instead. Um, Peter, you've also done work overseas. Some oh, yes, that's right. We, 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 we did quite a lot of... Um, with the last government, um, when, when there was a lot more infrastructure work around, we did a lot of educational work. And, and we did a, um, a rather uh, a great project in Saudi Arabia. And uh, it's for a school with 4,000 kids. Can you imagine? Four, it's like a city. And the boys and girls were segregated. We were asked to go over on, off the back of a house, uh, sorry, a, a commercial building we did here in Queensbury Street, North Melbourne, the Basto Institute. Of, yes, uh, I remember that. Yeah, the Basto Institute of Education um, is, is for, a, for a peak uh, learning institution for adults, in fact, teachers to become principals. Uh, so that was off the back of that. We are asked to go to do this school in Saudi Arabia. And um, I was a bit reluctant, but we thought it'd be fun. So we did this uh, journey and, and in fact, um, presented to the Saudi, the Saudi yeah. Arabians, uh, a, a concept. Um, it was a, Two separate schools. It was a big school. It was for um, 4,000 kids. The first building was for 750 boys, a uh, five-storey building. And uh, the, the building that was there was completely unenvironmental. We came up with a completely environmental building. Went back to present it to the school council and the prince, who's the patron. And um, his comment was, well, I think we'll move the school. Not just our building, but 4,000 kids. So they've changed directions. They, he got excited about our scheme. But you say move the school to another location. Yes, just abandon the school they've got and build another one for 4,000. It's like another city. So uh, our school, uh, our design for one building yeah. has uh, gone on hold or they reassess where they're going to go and how they're going to build so a you whole might, new town. So you might be brought back again. Oh, I've got my fingers crossed, Stephen, that as you it. do in architecture. <laughs> I know. Now, the other thing I think that's interesting, you, you're now hosting Grand Designs and everyone must know oh, what, must be, what must be like. You must see an awful lot of homes and you must see things that perhaps, you know... You, you, I've always wanted to have my own show called What'd You Do That For? Have you ever gone into a house and said and thought in the back of your mind, why do people make decisions they do? Mm. Or is it something that you don't... Mm. Mm. I mean, you don't actually ask because it'd be considered impolite, but there must be times when you walk into a house and you go, what'd you do that for? That's a great idea for a show. I might I pinch that. Well, <laughs> we could do it together. Yes, I'd love it. Because people make the most unusual design decisions. Look, um, no, that's not your role. But mm. you, it's So it's, it's an interesting tightrope I walk as the host of a show that's uh, about the owners, not about me. I'm the I'm the best man at the wedding, and and the, the uh, heroes, the couple that are getting married, are their homeowners. So we have to put that in perspective. Mm. And also, it's not about architecture or architects. It's very much about the people and their journey. And I'm just a fly on a wall, really. And the story mm. comes out by osmosis, by, by me just being around, asking a few questions. And um, I need to be 
mindful that I mean their their uh, dream territory that might they might have been thinking you know for years about doing this and and who am I to come along and put my ascetic over what their uh, dream is so um, and 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 I think the viewer can make their own decisions pretty clearly I think that. Um, I don't need to say much for people to get an understanding of where I sit. Um, it's just a turn of the eye or um, body language. Uh, when I'm walking around with my knuckles dragging on the ground, I think it gives it away. <laughs> but um, so, but look, you know, I, I, I really respect anyone that can get up and build a house, even if it may, may not be my taste. I mean, it's just what, su- such, a, such a big thing to do in your life. What, Peter, what do you think are the biggest mistakes people make when they're... Um, building a house. Yes, over, don't do the homework, and, that, and that's simplified, uh, uh, really, statement. But what that means is um, getting trusting professionals to do their job and not thinking you can do everything yourself. And it's, people get into hot water thinking they can project manage a house, cost it, build it, um, and, and wonder why the wheels fall off, they run out of money, and it's never finished. Um, or, or they have a, a mental breakdown or the marriage breaks up. Uh, so you need to be realistic. Uh, and, th- and that... that what does that mean? That means getting a cost plan before you start the work. Uh, get it designed by someone who knows what they're doing, then get it costed. Don't live in a dream that you can build it for what you want to build it for and, and the market will bend to me because it just doesn't. So you're finding budget's one of the issues? Budget, time. Uh, uh, people want to really want more than they need uh, and that's both in size and finish uh, and that's a human, a human uh, attribute. It's difficult, and only clever people can own up to really, and, and say, uh, I actually will only get a, a modest a table surface because um, that's all I need. No, I'll have a marble table, table surface or stainless steel because that's a better finish. I may not need it, but that, that's yeah. I've seen it, therefore I want it. Yeah. So really, modifying your aspirations to uh, what you what you really need and, and and what really suits you. So so. Um, they're, they're, they're big issues. Um, Do you think the other thing uh, that I think may come into, and you can tell me if that's true or not, that sometimes it's also about matching personalities, an architect with client, and sometimes an architect can be a great architect and do beautiful work, but personally, you know, the personality of that architect really is not going to be right for this client. Part of the formula. I think part of the formula. I think that um, you can still get through with, with um, personalities that aren't... Uh, you don't have to go to bed with your architect. Mm. Um, although some may. Mm. <laughs> we some, won't go into detail. Some may. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a great bonus if you get along with any professional you work with, whether it be a dentist or your accountant, if you, if you have a, uh, uh, a, a, a relationship that's going to help. Um, but I think more importantly, you must aspire to the architect's work, aspire to what, what they do. I think the personality thing's part of it, but I think uh, if you aspire to, to the sort of architecture that we produce, uh, medicine architects I'm talking about now, um, you know, you're halfway home to getting something you, you want. But if you have no idea what the, the architect produces, and there's a lot of mismarriages, I've seen that on the show, uh, where owners go for a name and then, and then are not happy with the result. But the name may not, and we know a number of those names. They have a very strong style. Yeah. If you're not happy to buy into their architecture, why are you using them? Yeah. Uh, so, so you have to be aware well, of the work that might come out of that practice. The other thing that I find um, pretty heroic that you do, and I couldn't do it. I mean, I literally couldn't do it. Is to follow a house from beginning to end. I mean, it's a long time. They pay me through it all. I know. They pay me every month. It does help. <laughs> but don't you occasionally go on site and think, when are you going to finish this? I mean, look, you're dragging your feet. You it know, goes so quickly, though. A year and a half 
is the average uh, time it would take to build a new home, up to two years sometimes. But uh, that goes very quickly. You know, uh, it's not the only thing I'm doing. I currently, for instance, have 25 houses I'm following on the show. So I'm on the hop all the time, moving around the country. And a couple of months will go by, and, and I'll be reminded by my producer, it's time to go back and see the roof that's now on a house that I went to two months ago. So time moves forward. And you're seeing things in. Seeing lots of things in between time, and uh, it's very structured by my producers. I have seven producers around the country looking after me. Um, or giving me a hard time sometimes. Yeah. Um, so uh, the time just whizzes by. And, and uh, you know, I think you and I understand how long it takes to build. Um, and uh, so you, you get aboard with it knowing it's going to take that long. I'm, I'm currently working on this batch, which won't be finished till the end of next year. Right. Uh, so that's for Series 6. I'm doing Series 5 this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on Series 6 houses, which will come to a, an end the end of 2015. What gives you the most pleasure when you walk into a house? What separates one house from another? What, oh, what do you tend to look for that kind of really yes. yeah, well, creates that spark? I guess, I guess something that's original uh, and something that's well conceived, well executed as well. Um, yeah, they, and that often relies on the skill set of your builder and tradesman. Um, you know, I'm a very, I'm very, um, I'm very open to any style, really. I think a lot of the the, the architecture that you might cringe at, Stephen. Yes. Uh, I'm more open-minded to. I'm very close-minded. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got a strong opinion, which yes. is what people want yeah. most of the time. Yeah. But I, I'm actually, I get, I get a blast out of seeing um, a divergent range of architecture. So now I'll use a couple of examples. ARM, uh, Charles McBride Ryan have a particular style. Yeah, very quite, expressive. Quite different to, let's say, uh, Denton Corker Marshall, uh, for instance, who are very minimal, fir- firmly in, in the modernist mould. Mm. But I love the aesthetic of both those, uh, those, those extremes of But they kind of feed off each other. I mean, I think, actually, I've just done a story exactly on that, and I think that one enriches the other, and it makes Melbourne a much more diverse town because you've got this wonderful play between minimal and expressive. And what's interesting also is that you'll find those practices are very accepting of the other practice that's in another camp, yeah. another stylistic camp. They're quite accepting of that. Which I find quite incredible too, because you'd think there'd be a bit of um, uh, turning your nose up and, and uh, second questioning, second doubting what they're doing, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. They're quite quite accepting. So Melbourne is good that way. But um, no, it's um, it, it just takes that long to do buildings, and and you should you know you, time go if you're enjoying it, time just goes by. Have you seen anything recently that you've thought has really shifted architecture? Uh, in, in the in the residential yeah arena. in the residential arena is there something that you've seen recently you've thought I've really seen something quite unique. That's a really good question because it you makes see me, a lot. Yes, I see a lot. Um, there's a new wave of young architects breaking out of, um, and I think it's com- the computers helping this. Not always, but the computer is is developed a new form of architecture that's um, very plastic. That's not not made of plastic or fiberglass, but. Uh, you know, the, what we work with today is is um, these things. I've got a laptop on the desk, and it's so powerful that anything's possible. If you can think about it, mm. uh, you can. If you can imagine it, you can, it can be built. Um, Zaha Hadid is a good example of, of this uh, style of architecture. So there's there's um, a new and and technology building uh, science has mm. caught up with it. Uh, it won't be long before we're printing our houses. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's there's, there's this new technology. Um, computer-aided drafting, uh, Google SketchUp, 
Um, we've just invested in Revit, uh, which is another drawing program. All the Adobe Suite uh, mm -hmm. products on computers um, make make. Uh, I did a house, for instance, this year. Uh, no, last season it was. It was down at uh, Inverloch, and it was a crescent-shaped house, uh, all zinc uh, roof, and it grew up out of the ground like a, a moon, a, a crescent of a moon, but it grew up and then went back down into the earth again, and there was not a straight line in it. Um, and so that... Can you say who the architect was? James Stockwell, New oh. South Wales. Yeah, and he's only done a couple of houses. I've seen that house. Oh, right. He's a clever, clever young fella. Um, great house. And, um, you know, those sorts of buildings that you wouldn't dream of would be possible 10 years ago are now not only being built, they're being built very well. Mm -hmm. And so using traditional timber, concrete, rammed earth, glass, zinc, the old materials, but they have machinery now that can twist and bend and, uh, you know, glass. It's interesting you so. mentioned that, Peter, because I, I feel that with all this technology that's coming mm -hmm. out now, there's also been a very strong movement to a very earthy approach to architecture. Well, that house I talked to you about yeah. is, is, is in fact very earthy. Is it? Very earthy. Mm -hmm. It's all polished concrete inside, rammed earth walls, no plasterboard inside. It's all made out of timber. Um, but the form of it is quite breathtaking, mm. and and so, but it, it, it's a breathtaking futuristic form, uh, made out of traditional materials. Mm. But there's also quite a strong move to very kind of organic, earthy, recycled. Not blame the coffee culture for that. But <laughs> quite you know quite beautiful in terms of the the rustic tactile. Yeah, um, sure. That I I'm seeing increasingly that people want almost you know very layered work. Yep. And, and you're spot on. I mean, Breathe Architecture got Breathe the top, amazing. Yeah, got just the top uh, award for the um, uh, the Architecture Awards, which yeah. were on a couple of days ago. That, that we Best over to. an award. Correct, for multi-residential. Yeah. And uh, it is uh, particularly raw. I've been through the building. Particularly yeah. raw. Um, in fact, my, my uh, um, secretary at work, Janet Longley's daughter, lives in, it, in that building. Mm. Sorry, Janet. <laughs> um, and so she loves it because it's just it is so refreshingly unfinished, mm -hmm. and so there's a, certainly an appreciation for. Um, I mean, they're they're, they're not concrete. Um, it's it's ply, mm -hmm. uh, form ply inside. All the cupboards are made out of form ply. Uh, there's no there's no sort of lush. I'm very finishes. honest. I mean, there's very the honest. we've actually had Jeremy on the show. Oh, good. And uh, before the awards were announced, I already said it's a winner. I thought it was extraordinary and very honest, you know, yeah. washing, washing, communal washing, Correct. Uh, laundry on the roof, veggie, veggie, veggie patch, yes, and I thought it was a really lovely, storage. a very lovely yeah. um, uh, way of looking at architecture, and particularly residential yeah. apartment you buildings. You see more of that. And and why, why, Stephen, are we swinging back? Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Why, why are we going back to, to, to Mother Nature and looking, I think investing it's a, in those I think natural a, materials? Well, I think it's a sense of comforting. I actually think with all the technology that's coming out that it's almost an escape to something that is actually quite tactile and real. Escape from? Escape from technology, that we're going back to a lot of the things that are very basic, like, you know, veggie patches, you know, drying clothes on law, uh, on washing machines, uh, on lines, on rooftops, communal uh, facilities, a sense of almost the hippies in the 70s. And it was interesting, Jeremy said he was, his parents were hippies from the 70s, and it was quite lovely the way he told the story. But I think it's just a sense of um, escape, in a sense, to something more comforting, because I think technology is moving at such a quick pace that it can be quite threatening and so if you if you're looking at a laptop all day isn't it nice to walk into an apartment building and write on a blackboard hi i'm home or we need some milk and bread from the 
you know, the mm. milk bar. I think it's cost-driven also. I th- it I is th- cost-driven. I, th- I think that's Very part of it. And, and, and uh, when I started doing cafes, you know, 30 years ago, that was all about high-end, mm. you know, how, how many lush, exotic things can we have happening? Mm. And it's the reverse now. Um, and I think that's... it's, it's, it's uh, um, People don't want to pay so much for the product. Mm. They want a great ambience, but they don't want to... So to maintain the overheads on businesses and residential architecture and apartments, it's, it's, it's about it's, stripping it out quite yeah. a lot. But yeah. I, I think it's not that simple. I think it's certainly you're right. I think yeah. there's there's more to it. And technology may be part of it. But it may be... It's also, um, I think, uh, a development of a, an artistic uh, trend that's, that's more than just uh, technology. Um, and I think it's coming through not just in architecture, it's coming mm. through all the design areas, craft, fashion, decorative mm. arts. There's that sense of hand. Mm. And even if you're using high-tech uh, technology mm. to create these designs, there's that sense that you can actually want to touch things. And it's actually made by Madison Architects rather than just by, you know, made in a factory. Exactly. And it, Well, I'm hanging on to a few drawing boards in the office. Oh, good. And my, <laughs> and my Derwent pencils are going nowhere. <laughs> Look, thanks so much for coming in to um, speak with me today. It's been terrific. Uh, there's also the magazine Grand Designs Australia that you might have seen Peter's face on the cover. And uh, look forward to uh, hearing more from Peter Madison. So, oh, yes, thank you. And I, and I hope you'll hear more from me, Stephen. <laughs> you will. Thanks so much. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.